Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about why home prices have stabilized even as mortgage rates have gone up. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking with Melinda Wilner, Chief Operating Officer at UWM, about PA+. Melinda, what is PA+, and why did UWM decide to roll this out? PA Plus is a new service for us to help loan officers with processing an entire loan. So it takes a lot of time to gather documents, to review them closely. And what we do is uh, we look at initial disclosures. We get uh, documents from the borrower, both up front and then anything that comes in after the underwriter. We take the loan all the way through closing, schedule that closing date and get docs out to the borrower and see the entire thing all the way through. So we're excited. It's a great way to help our broker scale and to focus on the things that they do, like growing their business and getting leads and bringing in new customers while we take care of the back end of things. Thank you, Melinda. And listeners, you can find out more at uwm.com. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. It is great to have you. And this is pretty momentous. We are one week out from the anniversary of when you called the housing recession last year. And we have a lot of data now that you feel like you can say the housing bubble boys are toast. So walk us through what we should be looking at. It was funny because today one of the one of the Wall Street firms finally like threw in the towel and says, okay, home price declining is pause, but it'll start back later on at the second half of the year. Um, and again, for myself and for everybody that's followed our work, we believe in economic models. We believe in tracking weekly data. We believe that housing has to move around the 10-year yield, inventory, stuff like this that you don't get from Wall Street firms because they don't make their data public. And I'm, I'm even wondering if they even do track weekly data because for one of the you know price decline people to come now and go, well, yeah, you know, it's after the fact. So we want to get ahead of the curve, and that's why the, the tracker was created. But what, what we're going to talk about today is to try to explain, like, why did the housing bubble boys mess up this time, right? They had everything they wanted. They had the biggest crash in home sales ever in history. I mean, they were saying housing was going to have a bubble crash when 5% mortgage rates were here in 2018. Now they got over 7 So I think, for me, this is going to be like, almost like a tutorial to explain what happened last year, because last year was even more crazy than COVID. COVID was, in a sense, easy. The COVID-19 recovery model, for people who don't know, is on April 7th, 2020, we wrote a recovery model and gave people certain dates and data lines to track. And you know we're going to recover by the end of, uh, of the year. Here, it's a little bit different. And so what we're going to do today is go piece by piece to show what happened last year to get to this point so you have an idea of what to think about in the future so you don't have to wait for somebody six months after the fact, oh, I guess home prices aren't still falling. Well, maybe in the second half of the year that'll happen. Okay. So where where do you want to start? And I would like to just say for our audience, why we think this is important is because we hear from tons of real estate or mortgage people who are like, 
they see this out there and sometimes it, it confuses them. It definitely confuses consumers. Consumers, especially right now, are like, should I buy? Should I not buy? Should I hold? And so it's up to the mortgage professionals and the real estate professionals to really explain to the consumers what's going on. And it's a difficult market to know what's going on and how to explain it. So we feel like this is really bad. I, I would say 2022, the second half um, and going into the first uh, few months of 2023, if you're not versed, if you don't have the training or the discipline or even the data to actually track housing data, uh, you're going to be lost. So we're first going to start with, you know, years 2020 to 24, all my work is for this five-year period. I said, as long as home prices just grew at 23% for five years, we'd be okay. Of course, that was shot by the second year. Okay, we're already up 30%. So my job is, okay, when does the inflection point hit? Okay, so I've already lost my affordability index in, in, uh, by the end of 2021. The next thing is, when does a 10-year yield get above 1.94%? Okay, the, the, it was part of the forecast in 2022, but it needed global bond yields to happen. So when March came and bond yields started to go up right there, okay, my, my, my whole mindset has changed because now I have to say, okay, when does the recession start for housing? Because home prices have gone up so much so fast and rates went up that when this occurs, housing demand is going to get hit noticeably just because the, the, the pricing was so strong. So after you know the savagely unhealthy housing market came in in February 2022, so we're waiting, waiting, and then June 16th, uh, 2022, that's when I said the housing market is in a recession, right? We're going to see act, total activity is going to fall. Housing production in terms of permits are going to start to decline. Uh, it's not about prices. I think a lot of a lot of people say housing's at a recession until prices go. That's not the way to look at it. So in this light, June sixteenth, you know, we did that uh, interview on CNBC, tr- defining what we believe a recession is. So then, it's June sixteenth. We go forward. Well, housing, you know, is, is a leading indicator of the economy. The point is, when do I raise my sixth recession red flag? Because all that was left was the leading economic index. Now, I have a progression recession model. It's not really designed for like, okay, the recession you see right now. It's just designed to, we get to a certain spot, and then we look ahead to see when does jobless claims break. You don't have a recession until jobless claims break. Um, that July 27th, I uh, met with the conference board. They're the people that created the IMF, the World Bank. Uh, the leading economic index is their model. I gave my presentation to them. August 5th, boom, raised the sixth flag. The last time I had the sixth recession red flag up was actually uh, the, the latter part of 2006. The recession didn't even start until 2008. And we had credit stress back then too. So here we are now, August 5th. The question is, rates are going up. Home sales are falling. Pricing is starting to get weak on a month-to-month basis. I think the inflection point is, if you're tracking housing, you have to, and it's crazy to do this, you have to hold and pick a stand where the 10-year yield stops rising. So uh, for me, we go from August 5th now to October 27th. Um, October 27th was the start of what we're seeing in 2023. That was the day that I said, okay, the 10-year yield has peaked. 
Um, the Fed's main recessionary indicator has gone up. The dollar was super strong. We had market stress around the world. London was going to use as pension funds. Japan needed. The IMF was even saying, stop raising rates. Whenever that happens short term, that usually means bond yields have peaked and the next big move would be lower. Okay, so we, we made the stand on October 27th. And then all of a sudden comes November 9th. Now, November 9th is key to everything because the article that was written on November 9th was to say, okay, home sales are falling so fast. The forward-looking indicators are falling so fast that we're going to get to 4 million uh, on the monthly sales. And the reason why that's important is that historically after 1996, we don't really trend below 4 million. Even after the housing bubble crashed 2008, we were there just for a few months. But that's when mortgage rates started to rise and it impact the purchase application data. This is where everything changed. November, December, January, up to February 2nd, forward-looking purchase application data started to get positive. That's about a three-month positive run. That's something with duration that actually matters. Um, <clears throat> what occurred was that nobody, I, 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 could just, I could just see just from watching Twitter or other places, Nobody really knows how to track purchase application data in relationship to uh, to the to the supply and the demand curve right there. So while this was going on, it was like, okay, it's stabilizing. We get to four million. Boy, we, we're 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 setting up for a little bounce here. So when that occurs, um, what that does, it changes the entire housing dynamic. Uh, we go from a home sales are crashing with low inventory to home sales have stabilized with low inventory. And that right there, that statement can explain everything that we're seeing now. Because while people focus that demand is below 2008, we we kept on writing about this, demand is below 2008 levels, inventory isn't. And this was the incorrect assumption that you can have stable or growing demand and still have home prices crash. There's where the bubble boys messed up. Right, because a lot of them don't even believe that supply is low, or you know, there's some theory about massive inventory. So the weekly tracking data that we have now, you know, Altos Research, the Housing Wire Tracker, new listings data started to decline year over year in the second half of 2022. This means there's no aggressive product coming onto the system. You're just dealing with what you have. So the active listings were growing, and then the seasonality kicked in. And then right here, connect the dots, forward-looking data gets better, seasonality of inventory falls, and that forward-looking data pushes out the seasonal inventory bottom because sales rise. And we we wrote about this a few times last year. Boy, you know, when it comes March and April, the sales aren't going to be crashing anymore. So it takes time to hit the data lines. So that's why we say forward-looking data. Forward-looking data works. Forward-looking data works. And now that we're in June... All these price index, like the majority of the country is already at all-time highs in prices, right? So because of that, it shocked people because they were assuming that the marketplace of 2022 still exists. So this is my way of trying to teach people why this matters. So in the future, you don't have to listen to YouTube people. You don't have to listen to fake men on on Twitter, you know, saying X or X. You can actually read the tracker data and go, how, okay, this is happening, and we've been here before, or this is the real negative trend, you have something real time to work with. Because if you want to wait till June of 2023, they go, oh, darn, 
my 20% home price crash didn't work this year. Oh, missed it once again. Let the data guide you, right? Numbers over people, right? We That's what we stress here at Housing Wire. Uh, um, people can lie, politicians can lie, poets can lie, but numbers are the closest thing to the handwriting of God. And that really explains that a lot of the housing bubble crash people never caught on with the real-time data. And even if you're not a housing crash person, most people expected um, you know, some moderation in pricing in 2023, just because I thought, you know, it had been going up and been going up and you see mortgage rates go up. And so you think, okay, well, that's, that's what's naturally going to happen. But we have seen, you know, obviously it's very specific to, uh, particular markets, but overall nationally, that's not what we've seen. And also, I mean, you've been pointing out, um, for the last six months, like you, there is no inventory crash coming. One of the things that has to happen is like, you know, there has to be a whole bunch more supply. And in fact, I mean, we're at all-time lows. Yeah, new listings data is trending at all-time lows. So that means that if demand is demand is stable, then uh, what occurs is that when demand picks up, it prevents active inventory to grow because when mortgage rates go lower, there is no mortgage rate lockdown. Inventory just stays stable or goes lower. So that's what occurred in 2023. It was the longest time ever recorded in US history to get to the seasonal bottom. This is why the weekly tracker really is critical in January and February, right? Uh, it's very abnormal to have uh, the seasonal bottom. So here in 2023, the whole it, it, my price forecast was prices can fall in 2023, but it needs mortgage rates to be above 5.875, and it needs to kill demand just like it did in 2022 because you can't make a supply story. This is why I've always highlighted November 9th. So people can understand if the forward looking data gets better and inventory is low, the entire dynamics of 2022 changes. So we have a second half of 2023 to deal with. That's when the seasonality of pricing actually gets weaker, but we still keep the same principles of following active listings, new listings, the 10 year yield, purchase application data. And this has always worked, right? Not a speculative theory of a one percentage. Just throw it up in the air, hope it sticks. Uh, uh, and all of a sudden, six months later, like the Wall Street firm did today, oh, oh it looks like home prices aren't falling anymore. Um, well, come on. You don't want to be old and slow, right? In this day and age, you have so much access to information. And this way really explains what's going on because there seems to be a raw shock now um, in the last, I say five to eight days of people just wait a second. This, this is not what we were promised. Um, and the article actually goes into this, uh, with specific details and charts. And really the charts are beautiful because it really shows that in the most violent housing time in history, just a few moves in the bond yield markets and forward looking data that can stabilize, the biggest crash in home sales ever recorded in history. And a lot of this is that it's just really rare to get below 4 million. It, it, it can happen, right? There's no law that says it can't. But when forward-looking data gets positive or stabilizes, it becomes a little bit more difficult to have the same type of velocity that we saw uh, in 2022 in terms of the decline of sales. I think something that I've learned a lot from um, this year, your articles this year, is on the housing market tracker, which you do every week, you're looking at inventory, you're looking at the 10-year yield and mortgage rates, and you're looking at um, 
the purchase apps. And it's the, it's the way those three work together, which is what you've been talking about. But like in the past, I have personally not looked at those three, nor been able to connect them. But especially this year, I mean, it, it's like if the, so mortgage rates went up, that's great. If we had had more inventory, if we hadn't been coming off of the last couple of years, if we had more inventory, totally different situation. Yeah. I mean, normally if you want to use the NAR data, uh, we have two to two and a half million active listings. Uh, we're just a tad above a million. Um, if you look at the weekly housing inventory tracker, uh, the inventory growth is so slow that's here that again, this is going to be crazy, but we're, it looks like this is going to happen. This We're going to have some negative year over year prints in 2023 with mortgage rates trending be- between six and 7%. So, uh, on, on active listings. Um, usually when you have a housing bubble crash or something like that, you, you either have the supply spike happen already, or it's happening while sales are declining. And that I think that's, that's the thing about, you know, during the housing bubble years, inventory already spiked before 2008. Um, uh, the peak total, total active listings was actually in 2007, uh, the monthly supply peak was actually 2008. It's it's funny that you, if you wanted to look at the historical standards of 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 two different economic cycles, what 2023 and and 2008 are 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 such divergence in terms of supply, right? Uh, the demand is is roughly to kind of where where we are. We're we're, we're a tad higher than uh, 2008, but not by much. But it's the supply, and that's why I always say uh, credit channels, inventory channels. If you really cared about housing, th- these things actually matter. I just don't think a lot of people like this is this is economic work. It's boring, but it really does explain what just happened in the first few months of uh, of uh, twenty twenty three. And it's just kind of supply and demand economics. It's 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 it, it it was such a collapse in demand, and just that one move in the ten year yield from four and a quarter to you know we got as low as you know three point two four percent that just stabilized the market and we're just sitting here. It's so boring now in a sense. Uh, uh, there's there's not much inventory growth. The rates are just kind of hovering back and forth. The 10-year yield channel, for those who don't know the forecast, you know, is about 3.21 to four and a quarter, right? We still stick in that channel. That means 5.75 to seven and a quarter rates. Rates are worse this year because of the uh, commercial uh, or the, the, the banking crisis. And you just got to go with anything that comes new uh, uh, and, and add it to the variable box. But, uh, hopefully this explains the timeline between June 16th, 2022, the recession, the uh, six recession red flag model, the, uh, making the case for lower mortgage rates on October 27th, seeing the bond yields fall, seeing mortgage rates fall, understanding that three months of positive data is actually something material that stabilizing demand and that pushed out inventory growth to the, the you know uh, a, a bottom that would happen at the latest time ever recorded history, and now this is just the back and forth cowboy fight, you know, the duel between buyers and sellers, and and what's going to go on here. And now that we're in June, we're we're literally like a month away before the new listings data seasonally declines. So it, it's a different backdrop. The last podcast goes into what we want to look at for the second half of 2022, but this way. Everyone gets to understand. We just went through a crazy period, but somebody here tries to document everything. Somebody here tries to show you weekly data. Somebody tries to get you ahead of the curve so you don't sit here like that Wall Street firm and go, 
Uh, it doesn't look like home prices are declining the last few months. So that, you know, so forward looking data and housing works, it's one of these sectors that the 10 year yield variable is very, very important uh, in the whole thing. And also credit channels, right? Household balance sheets, uh, housing tenure, all these things that go into this whole concept of of how the housing ecosystem works really, really played into what we saw, uh, not only just post 2020, but really the, the second half of 2022 going into the first half ending in 2023. So household balance sheets were the next thing I was going to talk about because when people talk about a, you know, a housing crash, what would have to happen? Like if you look at what happened in 2008, to your point, it started way, it was 2005. And it was all of these people who were getting loans that, you know, their credit wasn't good enough to support that, the the actual, you know, loan programs themselves, products themselves were just, you know, some of them terrible. And so because, you know, then you had a stress then you had a stress in the system and all those people were then like, I can't afford my home. It's so different now because even if even if people lose their jobs, they have a pretty low payment if they've refied. And the loan itself was based on much more um, you know, strong underlying fundamentals. So you're just not, it's almost impossible to have that kind of housing crash again. Here's, here's the thing in that regard. Um, the selling to homeless thesis it's it's common with housing crash people that people just sell and don't buy another house. In theory, that actually did happen in 2005 to 2008 because the people that were filing for foreclosures and bankruptcies before the job loss recession happened, you can't buy another home when you're in that process. So you're either selling to be homeless, which isn't usually the case, but you rent or you uh, uh, live with a family member or a friend. Here, Sellers are buyers for the most part, right? Not all of them, but 75 to 82% of them are. So in this context, if you have that fluidness, do you have the ability to have an escalation inventory scale? Uh, um, that's why I've always said that the, the, the one time in history that we saw inventory spike from 2005 to 2007 was the you, you, you could make a sell-to-be-homeless theory. Um, here, on the other hand, you know where I think a lot of housing bears might have had a correct premise uh, that the 10 year yield was going to get to five and a quarter. You had 8% mortgage rates that could still in theory happen because the spreads are were getting worse. And it, because of that, which ties with my price decline forecast, if higher rates stay for longer and it kills demand, there's your, you know, how prices could decline, especially like on a month to month basis. But that changed, right? You know, that changed. The world doesn't revolve around what you think it should do, but. The world does revolve around what the data is given to us. It's how we interpret the data. And I, I always thought that mortgage purchase application data is a funky survey for people. It's a trend survey. So you have to read it as just a trend data line. So if the demand gets terribly weaker, you go with it. But if it gets better, I think so many people were stuck on the fact that we were you know, back at the levels of 1995 or 1996, not realizing it was just a survey and that the fact that it stopped going down meant that housing stabilized. There's nothing preventing that data line from going to all-time lows by itself. It, demand kept on getting weaker. So the stabilization in demand really changed narrative. And that started with, you know, uh, when the 10-year yield peaked at four and a quarter. And we still, we haven't been able to, I think the high of this year was around 410. Um, but we haven't been able to test that or get above it. And that that's a really big deal. Like that's that's the line in the sand. If things happen, then then housing could get work. But everything moves with duration. 
And for the bond people, I'm not talking about the duration you're talking about. I'm talking about the length of how long mortgage rates stay above a certain level or stay low at a certain level really impacts the data. In November, December, January, up to February 2nd, we had, if you do the holiday adjustments, it was majority positive. After February 2nd, we had that big spike in rates, went from 5.99 to 7.10, created weakness in demand. We, we, we have four straight weeks of weakness in demand right now in purchase application data. You, you go with that. But this way, everyone can understand what just happened. Like we went from the housing bubble 2.0 or 3.0 or whatever crash in 2023 to majority of the country is back at all-time highs. And that doesn't exclude the we're out of the housing recession. I, I don't. There's a lot of people who 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 just front load prices, and because the case shiller index has already fallen from the top and it hasn't hit all time highs yet, the housing downturn is technically not over. But if it if case shiller goes positive, I don't remove my uh, recession theory because I look at housing permits, demand, these other things that work more with the ecosystem of housing economics rather than prices. Price weighted everything are just not efficient here. Um, and, uh, I think that's, that's more of how stock traders look at housing. So given all of that, given everything you've talked about, um, and we talked about the 2023, you know, what, what to expect going forward, but we didn't talk the last time about, are we headed into a recession generally? Like you, you know, you've had your recession six red, red flags up, but as you said, I mean, we haven't, we haven't, the overall economy hasn't gotten there yet. So to get to the recession level of the six recession red flag model, you need claims to break. And a few things that what, are- What claims? Jo- talk, jobless talk claims. Uh, every, Thursday, every, every Thursday, initial claims. These are people filing for unemployment benefits. Um, if the unemployment benefits can get over 323,000 on a four-week moving average, that really means the labor market has broken. Now, there's, there's a few dynamics that are really different now in this cycle that hopefully people can understand. Home, uh, household balance sheets are much better. Like homeowners are in such better place. Like, you know, a, a little mini dissertation that the, the, like nobody really wants to talk about that the greatest hedge in America and on planet Earth was people's 30 year fixed mortgages. Because uh, even in an inflationary period, you don't get just shielded. Your cash flow gets better because wages go up. So we're in a different uh, uh, household balance sheet cycle than we were in the past. Uh, also, um, two of the things that I thought that could benefit the economy after the recession red flag model was that the growth rate of inflation falls. That's happened. Gasoline prices have fallen. Oil prices have fallen. Number two, the 10-year yield falls, stabilizes housing. We've got that. We're not out of recession yet. We're not doing, we're not growing permits, but th- that was a plus. But the second one is that the Fed stops hiking rates and then cuts them. We're not there yet. So half of the what needs to happen to keep the economy going actually occurred, but the other half haven't. And we're just moving along. And jobless claims did rise this this week, this uh, this last week. And it wasn't just one uh, one off. There was m- multiple states. So we keep an eye on claims, claims over job openings for sure. Okay. So last topic, inventory going out into the second half of this year. What do you expect? Just uh, keep an eye on mortgage rates and apps and, uh, you know, New listings data is going to end soon. I mean, the, the seasonal peak is going to be here, but uh, we should be able to pick up a little bit more uh, uh, active listings growth if it takes longer to to sell a home. Um, that would be preferable. Of course, I'm showing my bias here. I'm, I'm a very pro-supply person. I just know how difficult it is after 2010 as somebody who doesn't believe in the mortgage rate lockdown that um, 
that this is not this is not as easy as it seems. It needs weakness and demand and duration, right? Uh, so I'm hoping that the growth rate of uh, active listings by the time this podcast comes out, you know, the the tracker will be out. We'll have the data. Last week was a holiday week, so I'm just hoping that the decline, the growth rate decline we saw last week was just more of that. We just get to something kind of normal, and we kind of push the inventory data up and up and up uh, and give people more choices. More choices are a good thing, of course, and uh, that's, the, again, the best way to deal with inflation is always supply. Thank you so much. Great insights. Um, thanks for, I, I really just want to give you a shout out for creating the housing market tracker at the beginning of this year. It's what we needed this year to make sense of things. It's been amazing. So great job, Logan. And thanks for sharing your, your insights. Pleasure, Sarah, as always. Hi, I'm McKenna Clay, Events and Programs Specialist here at HW Media, and I wanted to invite you to our upcoming event this summer. A theme we've heard from housing leaders this year is the importance of relationships to not only survive, but be strategic in 2023. And that's why we decided to invite the top C-suite executives and leaders in mortgage to join us at Gathering of Eagles in Austin, Texas from June 18th until 21st. Now, Gathering of Eagles has historically been exclusive to the nation's most elite brokerage, association and team leaders, and C-suite leaders. But for the first time this year, we're opening up the audience to include execs from mortgage, title, and insurance so that you can connect and build vital partnerships for your business. If you want to learn more, visit the events page on realtrends.com and you can get registered today to come hang out with us in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.